Hello, I'm Christy Scarrow, and in this interview series, I'm talking to experts who help leaders to have an influence, gain commitment from their team, and make an impact. And today, I'm happy to welcome Tammy Dunnett. Uh, she's a communication and conflict coach, uh, self-described as an ex-target of workplace bullying turned communication coach. She is changing the way relationships are done, one conversation at a time. That is a really great uh, uh, purpose there, Tammy. Thank you. Thank you for being here today. Welcome. Oh, thanks for having me to, having me here and having a chance to chat with us. Absolutely. So uh, I'd love to know kind of how this ex-target of bullying shapes your work today and the kind of things you do to help others. Yeah, and I'm glad you picked up on that. I used to say I was a survivor, but mm. for me, and we hear it a lot, and it's a great stepping stone to becoming an ex-target. For me, survivor still felt like there was a victim story attached. And I am not a victim and I won't be a victim anymore because now I know the science and I know how to deal with it in, in the workplace and in, in real life. So I just assume the title of ex-target. I love that. I think that is much more empowering than survivor. And so you say, you know, the signs. So what kind of things, you know, should, should we be looking for in the workplace to, to get a sense of other people are, are being bullied and we need to support them either as a manager or, or a peer? Yeah, so as a manager, if you have your top talent all of a sudden are withdrawing, they're no longer volunteering for things, they're not putting their hand up in staff meetings, that's probably a sign that they're disconnected and they're not feeling valued. Not feeling valued may be attached to feeling bullied. Mm. So when somebody uses the term bully, I don't necessarily jump right in and attach that and say they're bad and you're, you know, you're good. What it tells me is that their capacity to deal with something is overrun. And so as a manager, if someone's coming to you saying that they're being bullied, that to me would be the first place to start, that their capacity is overrun. They no longer know how to deal with the situation. And you're going to see those signs of people retracting, sick leave going up, employee assistance, benefits being utilized, turnover in terms of signs to watch for organizationally as do you have a problem. Mm, interesting. And then so what, what would you define as workplace bullying? What are some of the behaviors? Because that's the reaction, right? Is that feeling of I can't deal with this. What are some of the, the behaviors that are bullying behaviors in the workplace? We hear about it in the schoolyard, but I'd love to get your perspective on the workplace bullying. Yeah, and that is such a great question because we are all capable of these behaviors. And so it really comes down to, is this person having a bad day or are they truly a bully? Because there's five characteristics of a bully and two of them are also seen in a bad day. And that's that nonverbal and verbal offensive behaviors. They roll the eyes when you talk. They speak under your breath or under their breath when you like go to raise your hand, like, oh my God, seriously? Can't she just, it's Friday at four. She needs to just be quiet. We get out of here. Uh, you know, there's those things, the verbal and nonverbal elements. Uh, then there's also the overt or covert. So are they doing this in a public place or are they doing this behind the scenes where nobody else sees it? Which adds another layer of bullying because when you come forward and you say, hey, Sally's been, you know, bullying me and nobody else knows about it. Nobody can validate that. So it's another mm -hmm. element a bully will use. But both of those things happen when we have a bad day. You know, like the dog got out again and you're like chasing him down the street and you have no time to be nice to your neighbors or to your kids. Um, so you can yell and you can say things you don't mean. But with a bullying, there's a misuse or abuse of power. Mm -hmm. And it's intended to intimidate, offend, humiliate or isolate a group or a single person. And in the research, it was often linked to repeated behaviors. I will share with you now in Alberta, I'm not sure about where you are, 
the Occupational Health and Safety Act now lists bullying underneath the definition of harassment, and they define it as a single or repeated episode, hmm. which I think is such an important transition. Yeah, it is, because you're right. I would have thought of bullying, you have to be consistently demonstrating it. So, um, but I think from what I hear you saying, it's more about the intent. And so if you're having a bad day and you react and you snap at somebody, that may not be an intentional bullying act. And so how do you distinguish that? How do you, you know, if someone says I'm being bullied, I mean, your, your obviously intention is you want to you believe them and listen to them, but how do you distinguish between true bullying and just, okay, that was just maybe an overreaction to your own stress? Yeah, the, the antidote is you ask, you have a conversation. And this is where a lot of things don't happen in the workplace. We get scared, we get fearful, we get reactive. And then we go and we say to our manager, I'm being bullied. But are you really being bullied? Not, nobody wants it. Nobody wants somebody to yell at you. Nobody wants somebody to roll their eyes and, and make um, comments about you. But the intention is so important because if, I'll tell you the stat first, 85% of offensive behaviors are stopped with a single conversation. That's because the intention was not to offend, intimidate, and isolate. They were just getting off the stink that was on them in the moment and you just happened to be in it. And when you can speak up in that moment, you actually stop the offending behaviors. The problem is only five to 15% of people in the workplace actually take the time to have that conversation. Yeah, I think that is so true. It's something I, I'm very passionate about myself, which uh, my book, Truth Warriors, is about how to be heard but listen to others because I, I believe very strongly in that we don't have enough conflict. We don't address conflict head on. And I know that that's obviously some of the work you do as well. So what do you think stops people from speaking up then? Well, there's many things. Fear is the first one, but there's fear of retaliation. There's fear that they won't be heard. That's a big one in the workplace. There's fear that the workplace won't do anything, that they can't do anything. Uh, and then they'll end up becoming a you know, bigger target from other people. Income, people need their jobs. Right? They don't want to have to go to work and suffer more. So there's a lot of fear that comes around reporting. And that's where our managers and our leaders can lead a culture shift around um, conversations, role modeling, how to have these conversations and being with during a conversation. So when you're in that place of fear, what are you recommending to kind of get yourself past that? Because I do see the leader has an absolute role to try to encourage it. But a lot of times I'll hear people say, well, I don't think my, my manager is going to listen to me, as you said, or they, they feel like they're going to be dismissed uh, anyway. So what is their, what is their recourse? What are their, what are some of the things that they can maybe do to, to speak against it? Yeah. So fear's a natural reaction. First of all, recognize that every one of us has a fight or flight and you're either going to move towards the conflict or away. That's completely natural. That's um, the next thing is we also have a natural interaction. We're either going to talk about the issue or we're not going to talk about the issue. And so just honor who you are initially and know that that's an okay place to start, but you can always come back and have a conversation with somebody. Once that emotional kind of hijack has come down, we don't have to solve all the answers right now, but we do need to have a conversation. And so if fear is what's driving you to not, then we need to find you a space where you can minimize that fear. And I'll share with this, managers are human too. Leaders are human too. And nobody is taught this stuff. And you know this, right? Like nobody is taught how to have a conversation. Yeah. Learn it on the playground. 
they were taught not to say anything if we can't say <laughs> we were we were more so taught i think to back away from it and be nice and be friendly and i think sometimes i always say i, I sometimes it's more important to be kind than nice which is address it and deal with it and declare your assumptions as opposed to just going away feeling disgruntled and upset and without without talking about it but i know that i know how difficult that is for for a lot of people yeah there's a real safe way to bring up a, a hot topic and it's called a perception check it does require that the person who's having the emotional reaction they need to come out of that emotion first because it, it requires our brain open up to another possibility than what we think is the truth you know, oh my God, Christy, you're bullying me. I saw you. I heard you whispering about me and I saw you looking at me funny. So I know you're bullying me. That's, if that's the only reality I can see, the perception check forces you to see that potentially something else might have been going on with Christy today. Mm. And you are forced to declare it out loud as well. And so with the perception check, you state the behavior that you've seen. So Christy, I noticed you rolled your eyes in the meeting when I raised my hand. And then it has to be a fact. It cannot be an opinion. You can't say, Christy, I noticed that you didn't like what I had to say. That's <laughs> yeah. Okay. So it needs to be a fact. Then the second thing is you have to give two possible reasons why you think they would roll their eyes at you. The first, or one of them is going to be what you think is really going on, right? So do you not like what I have to say? Or now I have to work really hard because I need to give you another option. Um, or maybe you were just, you know, kind of getting the dust out of your eye. And then the last thing is help me understand. You put that recipe together and that does two things. First, for the person having an emotional reaction, it forces you to think that there could be another reason that they're behaving this way. And second, it gives the person who you are talking with an opportunity to validate or nullify your hypothesis and open up a conversation. They might go, oh, it actually had nothing to do with that. I didn't even know I was rolling my eyes. I must have been thinking about something else. Like, you know, it gives an opportunity to come in without creating more defense. Yeah, I think that's a great approach uh, because it, I, I, I definitely believe in the expressing specifics that aren't, you know, judgmental inferences and more about the behavior you actually saw. But I hadn't thought about the, you know, offering multiple options and rationale because I think that does make it a bit more open than just pointing and saying, you know, was it you don't like me? Because that puts somebody immediately on the on the defense. And as you said, it forces yourself to consider what might actually be a truly other reason that, you know, maybe you don't believe it, but at least you're, you're considering it. Yeah, 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 absolutely. That's really neat. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, so what I find it really fascinating is your background as a nurse and, in, uh, you know, obviously an emotionally charged environment. And, you know, my experience is, from, from friends in the healthcare environment is nurses definitely have a real uh, a challenge with kind of being, I think, pushed aside when they perhaps shouldn't be um, and not listened to because they are so much on the front lines of what's happening. And it doesn't always, uh, I think, uh, allow them that opportunity. So from that and from your work, what is the key thing? Like, how does that same sort of, you know, world show up in, in, other, in other areas? And how do you then help leaders to, to kind of recognize that? Well, I think nursing has been the perfect learning grounds for me to sharpen my communication skills and to sharpen my empathy skills and my relationship skills. Because with a, you know, eight patient load or a one patient load, it doesn't matter. You're always covering for other nurses, depending on your specialty. You're walking into different moments every time you walk into that patient's room. One yeah. moment they might be crying because they, they can't 
clean themselves. The next moment they might be angry. The next moment they might be thankful. And you're always having to adjust to the situation. And so I think that has been a great um, training ground. And I think you wanted me to talk about how to connect that into leadership. Because mm-hmm. yeah, I think you're right. It's an absolutely perfect learning ground for so many different things. It's such a high stakes environment. There's so many different things going on. So I can see the applicability for sure. Yeah. If there's one thing that doesn't, I mean, okay, nurses have to rely on teamwork, but that can also be their Achilles heel is that they don't want that nurse. And so learning to get along collegially is probably a bigger task than caring for our patients because we are paid to care for our patients. I'm not paid to like you, you know, like there's a a difference. So as a leader, taking that awareness that your colleagues may not always like each other and they have to work together, how can I then facilitate these conversations when tension arises? And facilitate's a key word. I think so many leaders here, like um, they'll come in and say, oh, did you know so-and-so was like 15 minutes late today? And a lot of us as leaders, as humans, we want to solve the problem. We want to be the hero and we jump into action. We go and find out who's late and we talk to them and we give them the riot act. But instead, you want to just take a moment, take a breath and then ask that person some questions. Oh, I'm curious as to why you felt I needed to know that. Or if if you checked in with them to see if they were okay, maybe something happened on their way to work. Did you do that first before you came here? Right. So it's about taking that responsibility first to model healthy communication and then expect that of your team. Yeah. And, and I think that really empowers the team to solve some of their problems because sometimes the temptation is to, to run to the leader and say, this is happening, solve it for me. And what I heard you say is it's really important as a manager to kind of question back and, and ask how they have worked to solve it together because that will you know, build trust in the team members, which is really important because if you always know, or if I make a mistake, I know someone's going to tell my manager I've done this or I've done that. It's going to, I would imagine, erode trust in the group. Absolutely. Absolutely. hundred percent. So what are your other sort of, um, you know, conflict resolving tips that we haven't touched on? Mm, Well, my secret sauce has been, uh, so when I was going through my journey, I knew that there had to be something interpersonally I could do with my bully. Now, initially I didn't know she was a bully. I just thought I had a bad boss. And I think this is also a symptom in a culture in the workplace is that we will rationalize away our problems, right? Promoted without training. They're a bad boss. In the military, we'd call them acting lacking, so promoted without the training and the, yeah. (laughs) Uh, So we can rationalize that stuff away for a good many reasons. And I did that for two years until I found out I had a bully boss. Now I forget your question because I got off track. Well, just tips on revolving and resolving conflict. So you were saying that you were in that situation and how did you go about resolving it? Right, I didn't have the answers then. And nobody (laughs) I went to had the answers then, but I knew what I needed had to exist in between me and my bully because there was only two models available to me. The medical model, which is take some time off work, take some medications for sleep, antidepressants, et cetera, et cetera. And the organizational model, which is go take this training on how to write a healthy email, you know, but there was nothing that actually brought the two of us together. Hmm. Nothing mediated or taught us how to have a conversation when we were in tension. And that's what I was looking for. And so in my recovery, uh, I decided to spend my master's focused on workplace bullying in the healthcare. At the same time, I was teaching communication skills and I was starting to put these pieces together that were missing and created a system. It's called the PAUSED, 
methods of conflict and each letter stands for something. And the word itself is important pause to take a moment and give yourself space between the conflict. That in itself is a, a massive tool to reducing tension. That's really neat. That's really neat. Cause I think you're right. It's those two separate areas of medical and I didn't think about that organizational and finding that if you can find the balance between there um, and really help people to diffuse tension when bullying does exist and when they're in these conflicting situations. I think that's really powerful. You also, I think, uh, maybe this is related to that, have, have five steps to finding your voice to speak up. Uh, yeah. Tell me a bit about that. So this came back from reflecting, right? So we never know what we're learning until we go back and look at what we've uncovered. And I was like, oh my gosh, this has happened in many of my situations where I've resolved tension. So the first thing was set your intention. And it can happen quickly. Like I had a patient extubated in the ICU and he just started swearing at me and I wanted to give it all back to him. But I recognized that's not who I want to be seen as. That was my intention in that moment. Um, it can also take a little while while you think about how do I want to approach this. But what is it you truly want? That's your intention. The second step is then you go into purposeful planning. This again can happen instantly. For instance, with the ICU guy, as he was barging at me, I was like, okay, nope, I'm not going to buy into his anger. I'm like starting to plan my, you know, how I'm going to engage with him. Uh, the third step is a gut check. Because many people have a great intention to speak up and use their voice. And they'll have thought about how they're going to do this, when they're going to do it, what they're going to say. And that opportunity presents and they don't take it. Yeah. That third step is to really do a gut check and get back aligned to your intention and why that mattered to you and why it was so important. And then the fourth step is to do it. Pull the bandaid off and try it. And after it's all done, reflect on it. And if it didn't go well, you can always revisit. You set a new intention plan again, you do your gut check and you do it. And you just, it's a cycle of learning. Yeah. I think with speaking up and people who feel very, and I'm not one of these people, I, I tend to probably speak too much and to pull myself back. And I've learned to find that balance of when to share my voice and when to kind of step back a bit more. But I know it's a challenge for many just to, to share. I think you're right. If Even if, you, if it's a test and learn mindset, like I'm going to just do it. And if it didn't kind of go as I'd hoped, or I didn't, you know, diffuse the conflict, or I didn't, you know, it didn't come out how I wanted it to come out, then I learn from that, I reflect from that, and think, maybe think about how I do it differently, rather than just scrap the whole thing and say, okay, that didn't work. But, see, I shouldn't speak up. Like, it's gonna, it, it doesn't work for me, because I think all scenarios are very different. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's what happens. If you have, if you kind of fail at it, you, you sort of feel like, okay, I shouldn't have. And maybe that's not, in fact, the reaction you should have from what I'm hearing. Yeah, I would invite people to be more of scientists. Like, I love how you said that, right? To always be exploring and, and know that this is about failing forward, if you want to use the word fail, you know, exploring how things went. And it's unique in every person's relationship. You and I, if we had a conflict now, in a half an hour, we're going to feel different. If we had a conversation in two days, we're going to feel different about it. So just that in itself should tell you that every interaction is unique and you have to always be reflecting. Yeah, I know you shared that earlier, which I liked. That was about, you know, if, if in the moment you're still feeling emotionally charged, then it's okay to kind of respect that's where you are. And sometimes it's about, okay, I needed to back away and come back to this conversation later because I know I won't be in the same space. I know I'll, I'll have had time to reflect. It's not like, okay, that time has passed and I can no longer deal with it at all. It just means I've taken some space. Yeah. I think that's important. Yeah. 
Yeah. And there's a fun thing called pause and release, right? So if you pause and you take some time away and you end up going, oh, you know what, actually, I don't even know why that bothered me so much. And I'm just going to let it go. Pause and release. And you truly can let it go. Then fantastic. Yeah. I know I've done that myself where I'm mad at my husband and I don't know. Days later, I'm like, I don't know why I'm mad at him anymore because you've had enough time. Like, I guess I'm also to stop it. It's no, there's no point. Um, so the other thing, and I know you have something you can, can offer, which is um, that I'll put in the link in the description. And it was the idea of scripted responses to stop offensive behaviors without risking your reputation. Because I think as we talked about, there's sometimes that fear of speaking up from you know, what you say could have an impact on the, on the person, can impact your career, you know, impact what people think of you. So tell me a little bit about that. because That sounds like a really great resource. Yeah, thank you. And this is for employees and employers, managers, leaders, because even as managers, we worry we're going to say the wrong thing and we're going to make it worse. So mm-hmm. nobody's immune to this feeling, just so you know. But one of the, the most often asked questions is, what do I say to make them stop? Um, followed quickly by, without making it worse. So this actually comes from research from Martha Griffith in 2004, but it stands the test of time. It, these are 10 of the most likely offensive behaviors you will see in the workplace. And for each of those, so a nonverbal, rolling of eyes, stamping feet, the death glare, to sabotage, backstabbing, um, withholding information, all these ways that they're trying to set you up to look like a failure, that's all covered in these 10 statements. And you can just use them word for word. And you can use it as a leader for yourself in a hard conversation, but also to model and help role play with your staff to send them off to use these statements to help them solve their problems and elevate their conversational abilities. That seems awesome. I'm totally going to check that out. It seems very useful. The other thing that just occurs to me that you might have a good perspective on is those individuals, you know, that have kind of said, I, I'm not going to like, I don't, this person does not respect me. This person maybe is a bully to me, but I, there's no point in even dealing with them anymore. Obviously the relationship is not salvageable. There's nothing I can say to them, but yet of course they need to continue to work with them. So what do you recommend when someone gets to a point of like, I'm not even going to speak up anymore to anybody because it doesn't matter anyway. Yeah. Uh, so first of all, there's no judgment if people feel like this is the place that they're in, or if they feel like they can't leave and they're just going to make it work and be unhappy. I don't judge people for that, but I go back to the first step of setting your intention. What do you really want? Yeah. Really want a workplace where you feel supported and valued and heard. How are you going to get there? That's the purposeful planning. Hmm. Like steps aren't just for conflict. This is for like, how do I get what I want in this relationship, in this workplace? Uh, Because if your intention is that you don't want to be miserable, but you are miserable, you have to look at the reasons you're miserable and your actions that you're taking that are keeping you miserable. Because you're a part of the problem. You want to be a part of the solution. Yeah, that's a really good insight because in that instance, maybe the person has said, I'm not going to really try to engage with this individual and I'm just going to, I'm not going to be bothered by it. And that's a purposeful choice. But if in fact they're saying that, but, but actually are still very frustrated by it, upset by it and want the relationship to be different, then they do need to make different choices. So it kind of depends on what they want out of that relationship or, or you know, if they can easily just compartmentalize it and say, okay, it's not important to me. And I'm just going to work with this individual and and with these boundaries, then fine. Right. But if they're like still upset, still holding this anger or upset, maybe they need to do something different. Yeah. If you can't pause and release genuinely, then you need to come and you need to engage. 
because the only way you're going to get solutions to an interpersonal problem. You can't look to your manager to solve it. You can't look to medications to solve it. You can't look for a course that you're going to do professional development on. You have to do the work. Yeah, that's very insightful. So is there, thank you so much. This has been awesome. Um, is there anything more I didn't ask you about or you think that's really important to share before we sign off? Oh, I'm sure we could talk forever. I think we covered a lot of great stuff to get people started. Uh, and yeah. if they need more, they know where to find me and definitely grab those safe conversation starters. Take the guesswork out of what to say when and then just work on your courage to say it. Love it. Absolutely well put to, to end our conversation. So Tammy, thank you again for being here. Really appreciate it. some great insights for the audience. Thank you again. Thanks so much for having me.